You're listening to the Art of Parenting podcast. I'm your host, Jeanne-Marie Penel. My intention is to share simple tips and tricks that will make a huge difference in your life and home, as well as give you all the support and encouragement you deserve to enhance your parenting experience. I've created a safe place for us to explore the issues and concerns that matter to you, bringing you clarity and solution with Q&A sessions and inspirational conversation with world-renowned experts in a variety of fields. I'm a firm believer that parenting was never meant to be done alone, and I'm here to debunk the general consensus that it has to be hard. A warm welcome to you, and thanks for tuning in. Hello and welcome back. This is Jeanne-Marie Penel, your host of The Art of Parenting. And today I have Gaia Bernstein with us, and we are going to talk about the digital world. Gaia has an upcoming book that she's going to share a bit more about. And I look, uh, I'm really interested to have her take on this whole digital world that we are navigating, especially as parents. So thank you, Gaia, for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, so as I always like to start, um, I love for my guests to define what the art of parenting is for them. That is that's a great question. I think it, um, it's good like, that I have kids who are now older so I can think retroactively because I don't think I could have defined this when I started out. And basically, I think for me, it's mostly pragmatism. I don't think that I believe in setting specific expectations. I, of course, I think the general expect- hope is that the child will grow up to be happy and satisfied with their lives. But beyond that, I don't think that there is a specific, setting a specific goal really works for me. And it might be because I'm an outsider. I grew up in Israel where there's one culture where people are expected to do certain things. People often are expected to get married, to have three kids. They do it earlier. And people Families are very close together. And then I moved to New York City where the ambitions are from preschool. Kids, parents are thinking about where their kids will go to college. And this is part of the expectation. And I realized early on that I do not fit anywhere. And so I think for me, it was mostly about just realizing that if I don't try to control things, if I don't try to, to, think my kid has to go to a specific kind of school and I'm open to what comes up, then things often turn out much better than than I could have imagined. So I think it's all about being open, being pragmatic. Mm, yes, yes, no, and 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 you're you know, you you hit it where where the, the idea of control, right? We we have very little control and you started out with saying you just want them to be happy and healthy and that's really all that we can wish for so kudos to you thank you <laughs> thank you yeah thank you for that so gaia i would love for you to share with our listeners uh, a little bit about yourself and uh why you have come out with this new book uh unwired that uh is fascinating to me and um just share with our listeners a little bit more about you and how you came to do the work that you're doing today. So I'm a law professor and I've 
been researching and writing about law and technology from the beginning of my career, I was always interested in how people use the technology. And I think some, you know, several things happened uh, around 2015, 2016 that uh, made me go in this direction. One, I remember it was mostly for myself. I basically went to yoga class and I stepped out to a New York City cafe. And for once, I didn't get my phone out. And I just looked around and there were about 15 people standing in line in front of me. And I realized nobody was looking up. Everybody was looking at their phone. Because I was not doing it myself at that moment, I realized something is quite strange. And then I was... I think around that time, I went to a birthday party for my kids. Uh, for I think it was actually a kid of a friend, and there were some k- kids sitting there, and they were sitting on this couch. And I knew the kids for years. They used to play outside, but instead of doing that, they sat in front of the TV, but they were not even looking at the TV. They were all looking at phones and not interacting with each other. And I realized, again, that something is different than what I'm used to. So I, I, I guess I started noticing much more and I noticed how every school play I went to, I could barely see the play because people were using iPads to, you know, to take a video or not, not really paying attention directly. And around that time, I, I was appointed as a director of in, the Institute for Privacy Protection in my law school. And I decided to do something beyond just trying to figure things out for myself. And I started an, uh, a school outreach program. So we, my law students went to speak to kids at the age in which they got their first cell phone, which was about fifth and sixth grade. And I spoke to the parents. And uh, so this was early. This was already 2017. And we went to about half a dozen schools, public schools, Private, you know, public schools in Newark, private schools in Manhattan, very diverse schools, but you could see the same sentiments everywhere. And at the beginning, when I did that, I just thought, you know, you know, if I talk to parents, if I'll, we'll raise this issue with the kids about how much time everybody's spending on their phones and their devices, they will realize there's an issue and things will change. And I guess it was quite naive. And at that time, I also, didn't I suspect that maybe the technology companies were behind it? But I, I didn't. I didn't feel like I could call it. There was not enough evidence out there yet. And so I, I went there and I talked about self-help methods and what parents can do at home. But I think about a year later, I realized parents were feeling quite desperate, and something has to change beyond that. So I think that's how I got to write the book I'm, act- I'm actually publishing now. Mm, beautiful. And when you say they were desperate, they were desperate for themselves or just with how to handle this, uh, the use of their children's technology? I think mostly they were thinking, they were feeling like they were losing connection with their children. So at the beginning, when I started giving the talks, parents were less aware that this was everybody's problem. So they thought it was their own problem. So there was something good about having these talks because they just turned around and said, you too. And so they realized they're all in the same boat. That was a good moment. But afterwards, when they, st- I would stand there and I would suggest different self-help methods, you know, restricting times through apps, you know, not having 
phones uh, during meals or bedtime. And everybody was trying these things. But I think after about a year and year and a half, people felt that this was not really working. And they blamed, sometimes they blame, often they blame themselves a lot. Sometimes they would think something is wrong with their kid. Their kid is an addict. Uh, but there was a lot of, of self-blame going on. Right, right. And, you know, sure enough, I mean, I could understand that for, you know, from the perspective of the parent, right, of, of we handed them a phone and now they're addicted. So how do we, how do we solve the problem? But what I see, and I'm, and I'll say I'm of an older generation, right? I'm already 61. So I did not parent in the early years with any technology. And I'm seeing that with the parents that I mentor today, well, they've, they've, you know, they've grown up with this technology that wasn't that, you know, that wasn't part of, of my, my growing up or my, my early years of, of parenting. And for me, it's just, it, it is fascinating how there is this real addiction but i think you know from the the parents have it as well i mean it's not only the children and it's it's you know it's it's multi-generational and it's like i think we're 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 entering a phase that is very delicate and that's why i really like that you've done this research and you've written this book because you you kind of really you know put this in the open it's like there's there's you know, we have an issue here. Hello, <laughs> what? How how are we going to to maneuver through this and try to understand how to to dismantle it? Just like any any addictions that we've had in the past. Right. So first of all, I think this is part of the issue that there are more and more parents now who have grown up with this, and there are fewer and fewer parents who remember how it was doing things without these this technology. So so I think that's an issue. And I, I also think this is not just a problem for children. It's a problem for adults as well. And uh, the thing is, the research, on the impact on children is much more concerning. Right. Because of their developing brains, because of their susceptibility to the kind of manipulation that they're technology companies are designing. So if I would say, I, I think the issue is definitely general issue. I think there's a public health crisis for children. Right. And so are we going to be, I mean, and, and I know that you're, you know, you're starting this work by, by this book, and I'm, I'm sure that you've met with people who are kind of, you know, uh, blowing the whistles and saying we, we, we have an issue what what do you feel? I mean, do you feel that there's progress in accepting that there is an issue and that we need to uh, change our relationship with technology? Yeah. So I think I think I'm I in, in some ways I'm optimistic because I think the first stage has already taken place. At first, people didn't realize around 2017 when I started out, people were not aware and. After the, uh, uh, after, since 2017, there have been several very well-known whistleblowers like Tristan Harris and more recently Francis Hogan, the Facebook whistleblower, who basically showed the world how 
the technology companies are manipulating us to stay online for as long as possible. So I think the consciousness is there. The problem is that even people like me, who I'm very much aware, I keep, you know, it's very easy to forget. And it's very, because the way that the, the technology designed is so manipulative and so addictive, it's, it's, I don't think it's really possible to overcome it by ourselves. And I think that, you know, we're talking about children. For small children, I think that there's a lot that parents can do. I think for small children, also the impact on cognitive development and is, is even more concerning. And I think parents can just, you know, refrain from giving them screens. It becomes much more of an issue when the kids go to middle school. And you can't, first of all, you, you do not win the technology war anymore because the kids are much smarter and you put a password and they find out the password. And also you cannot isolate them because the whole world is on social networks. And that's where it becomes more complicated. I think, though, that because we have the awareness now of many people and we have the evidence of what's going on, we are ready for the next stage in which we could start and we're already seeing a lot of legal action taking place to protect children especially. That's that's good. But I mean, for, for me, I, I know I, I tend to be, I guess, maybe uh, harsher, <laughs> maybe in, in my advice, like, you know, you say don't hand over a phone like I, you know, for me, it's 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 a given like don't even bother spending money on giving, you know, those that kind of technology to your children before, you know, 10, 11, even longer. And I know you say middle school, I was actually kind of shocked when you said, you know, fifth and sixth graders, I like, like, that's, to me, in my opinion, that's way too young, like, why do they need a phone, right? Uh, For me, I, I mean, I have, like I said, I have young adult children, uh, the first phone that I actually owned when was when my daughter went to high school and she was starting to have extracurricular activities and traveling with other people and, you know, to, to stay organized. Uh, we got her a phone and therefore I got my first phone. And of course, it's my children who taught me how to use him. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but so for me, it's it's, you know, it's choices that we make, too. It's like we have to make choices with with our wallet as well. Right. That we don't have to buy into all this technology. And and I know for me personally, I made a concerted, you know, effort and and very intent when they were growing up. I did not buy a single video game or, uh, you know, all of these gadgets to, to play with the screens, the Wii's and all this. And, you know, it was the big thing every Christmas, everybody got them and, and all of this. And I just, I refused, I would much rather take my children traveling and so forth. So I think that as parents, we need to also decide like how we want to raise our children in this technology world. Wouldn't you say? Yeah, no, I think definitely delay. Delaying as much as possible is important. I mean, every year your kid is not on a social network, that's that's a good year. And I do think 
eventually there will be protections. But part of the problem is, for example, you know, where I live in New York City, kids start to walk to school by themselves in middle school. So it would be nice if they could have a phone which would, you know, they could connect with their parents or they would, and it would look like a normal, like some kind of iPhone which would look like a normal phone but would not have all this extra stuff like games or social media or or even internet. So they, so basically but the thing is right now, device, the, at least the major device manufacturers have no incentives to give kids phone that will not lure them to spend more time because they make money from people spending more time on devices on on you know on apps so 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 that's i think a big of a lot of the issue is how technology companies design their their products and i think part of the legal pressure is to basically push them to redesign their products in a way that does not entice us to spend so much time online. And right now, the problem is their whole business model is based on us spending more time online and seeing more of the advertising. That's how they make money. Exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, no, no, definitely. And and what you, when you say legal too, is there anything that is, um, that helps protect uh, even the younger children? Because I know like for, for example, in the US, uh, the, you know, Association of Pediatrics says no screen before two, but yet there are a multiple apps and things that are, you know, supposedly, quote unquote, going to make your baby smarter. And you see these, these infants, you know, being shown a screen. And I just, to me, I'm just you know, flabbergasted because as you said, you know, their, their brain is developing. This is, this is a very, you know, precious time for their, their brain development. And we should not even be, you know, offering any of that. Is there any, any legal work being done for those uh, manufacturers that are, are kind of pushing all of that? So I think that that's a, a very important area to have more work done. And actually what happened during the pandemic is exactly the opposite. Because what happened was that, you know, kids were at home and teachers were desperate to teach them in some way to entertain them. So basically they started using games in the classrooms. They started using, you know, posting things on TikTok posting the classes and you know the big game manufacturers minecraft which actually sells itself as an educational game and which is one of the most addictive games ever ever made and roblox they now have education departments collaborating with schools and with teachers so so that is concerning what i have seen at the same time is more and more states coming out with their laws restricting how much time how much screen time kids could have in daycare settings. So I think that is, you know, a real development that is taking place. But I think, I, I think the problem, the problem is parents are trying to fight these battles at home. And I think the place to focus on is outside. And I'm not, I'm not talking just about lawyers. I'm, I think the most important place to really focus on for parents right now is schools. Because 
there has been a big push for over a decade to maximize technology in the classroom. And that's the federal policy. The more technology, the better a laptop for every child. And funding is dependent on that. And for a while, the teachers were used to their own ways and they sort of resisted it. But after the pandemic, more and more teachers are actually using it. And I think that parents have a lot of influence here because these decisions are not made, you know, just federally. They're made in a school by each teacher. They're made made by schools. They're made in districts. And if a kid has to, you know, does the classwork on the computer and they uh, go to, they go to, the, the, the assignments are posted online and they use uh, Minecraft in school, then whatever happens in school filters into the home. And, 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 and that, then homework is on the computer. And how can you even tell what your kid is doing? And how can you tell them not to pay, play Minecraft if the teacher just told them that's how you learn? And how can you tell them not to go on TikTok if the teacher has posted, you know, the class lesson there? So I think parents, I, w- I would say shifting away from blaming themselves for these very difficult battles at home, shifting into the schools, because I think that would delay a lot of the personal news that goes at ho- goes on at home. Right, right. And and earlier you said something that I was just shaking my head, is you said that they're controlling the screen time in daycares? So that's actually laws which are trying to restrict screen time in daycares. So that there's no that there should be no screens in daycares. I'm hoping. That, yeah, they're not adding. No, yeah, so that's that's interesting. So that's different from yeah. the general agenda because it's not schools. But so, still, this is this is where our children's brains are developing. Like there, there is no there is no need whatsoever to have any type of technology in those young age. Right. I agree. And I think we are seeing more and more bills and legislation like this, which are restricting screens and daycare, but also trying to think about technology in schools. First of all, do we really need the more technology, the better. And I think there's a problem here because People are torn about this. Parents are because they think technology in a way is good for their kids because they're going to, you know, to progress and to be a better worker in society. And basically, if we just think before we put any piece of technology in the classroom, is it better than teaching in person? Because if you look at the overall mega studies on technology in the classroom, they have not improved. Uh, learning outcomes, which is quite surprising. So if you introduce something, you have to make sure it's actually teaching kids better. If you're using assessing quizzes, is it helping? But the idea of blanket introduction of technology in the classroom is a real problem. Right. And it sounds to me like it's, you know, the technology industries, boycotts that are succeeding in, in, you know, placing all of that in our in our children's hands because then like you say you know there's there's an addiction that grows you have to have them at home and and what troubles me with what you're saying too is that there's a big socioeconomic divide here because not everybody can afford to have 
internet or a laptop and all this at home. Not not all families are computer literate to help their children and so forth. So for me, it sounds like there's there's going to be an either bigger divide within the educational system if we're we're pushing for technology. Right. So it's interesting because I think the the policy of putting technology in the classroom is to have make sure every child has a laptop. But the studies, which are not just from the U.S., but from international studies, showed that actually, even when you gave people technology, they did not really solve the, the, the disparity in outcomes. And that's what's surprising, that in a way, kids learn better in person. Of course. I mean, to me, that's like, <laughs> you know, evident, but, but yeah, it's, it's, it's true. Like you're, 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 you know, telling what the, the research is, is telling us. And to me, that's just intuitively, that just makes more sense, right? It's, it's by, it's by doing, it's by touching, it's by smelling, it's by, you know, and, and I come from a Montessori background, which is very hands-on learning. There is no technology whatsoever in the classroom until at least, you know, uh, nine or, or 12 years of age. So we, we really, at least, you know, some of the more, um, I would say, authentic Montessori people are, are, are you know, restraining or, or not letting technology come into the classroom in those early years. Um, and, and we know that, you know, we need to have our hands to be able to hold a pencil and write and that there's a connection with the brain and so forth. So to me, it seems self-evident. And it's interesting because it's true that I have a lot of parents when I say, you know, no screen or computers, they're like, yeah, but they're going to be behind and they're not going to be able to keep up. But to me, it's like, it's it's already in our DNA that if we're handed a new technology, we're going to figure it out. And especially the younger uh, children, like they, they figure it out. And that technology today is going to look completely different in, you know, three, five years, 10 years. So why even bother with it today, for, at least for the younger children? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I, I think I completely agree. And I also, but I, I think this is such, um, I think parents are in such a conflicted situation. I think it, it, it's both the the academic thing that they somehow part of them really believe the kids need technology, and the social thing that kids need to have friends because they cannot take their friends away from them. And so, and and I'll, I'll give you an example of how um, vicious it could be. There's some on Snapchat, one of the social networks. There is something called Snap Streaks, and that is uh, this idea that a, a kid sends a streak to their friend, and if the friend returns it the next, in the same 24 hours, they have one streak. And then they have to keep going. And the more days they go on, there's this chart showing how many days you've gone on with this friend. And you have a list of friends. And this is like a popularity chart. The thing is, if you miss one day, you lose everything. So if, so if the parent doesn't let you, takes your phone away or just does something with you and you miss your chance, you basically lost your friends. And the thing is, there's nothing in these tricks. There is not, no content. It's just about sending something back and forth, going back to the platform so you can get their ads. 
Right. And so I, I think it's important to, to see that, that it's basically, it's, it's, it's so disturbing the way these things are choreographed. Yeah. And it's true. It's very uh, disturbing knowing that the technology industry has been studying our brain so that they know exactly <laughs> what's, you know, what dopamine hits we're going to get and, and, and to make sure that we are on their platforms as long as we possibly can. Right. They have used the most basic uh, psychology principles. Uh, it's like the intermittent reward model that uh, when we get a reward in irregular, you know, uh, schedule, our brains will emit a stronger dose of dopamine, the pleasure enhancing neurotransmitter. And that's basically the model the slot machine works on. You know, the more people push, uh, pull and pull, and eventually they get some coins and they keep going and going. So many things we see on the internet, so many things that our kids see on the internet, whether it's the likes or the comments they get on Instagram or the, or the fact that you keep pulling to refresh on social networks and you never know when you're going to get something or in games, you are, there's something called loot boxes that are like hidden. There's some rewards hidden. You never know when you're going to get them or not. So it's, they've used these principles all over the internet to have people go back. Right. Right. And what fascinates me is that as you're describing all of that is like intellectually, I know all of that, right? I've, 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 watch documentaries. I, I know what's going on. Yet, I will admit, I am addicted sometimes, right? I want to to look if somebody saw my comment, or if somebody saw my post, or if, you know, what's going on? What are my friends up to? And you end up, you know, scrolling mindlessly for 20, 30 minutes. And then you're like, oh, my goodness, I've just wasted this time. So, you know, even if we are aware, we're still, we're still doing it, you know, as parents. And that's why I said earlier, like, it must be so hard for parents who have themselves kind of having some self-control issues that now they have children who have the same thing. Right. And that actually, I think some studies are showing that kids who grow up with parents who spend more time on their phones are more likely to spend more time on their phones as well. There's some modeling going on. Right, right. And 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 I will say one thing, like, uh, personally, like I, I was sharing earlier, you know, I really made a, a concerted effort that I, I didn't want uh, screen time in my home and so forth. And actually, for a long time, we didn't even have a television. That's how, <laughs> you know, that's how, that's how, kind of strict I was. And, uh, but today I will say, you know, my 22 year old, so my, my youngest son, um, he is constantly on his phone because that's part of his life too. Like he has, you know, a big following, so he has to keep on posting. He gets paid by certain sponsors, uh, to post regularly. So, you know, it's part of, his work. So, you know, I'm always feeling like, 
was I right in being so strict or, you know, it would have, it would have gone when that way anyway. So, you know, I, I, I did what I thought was best at the time. So that's, I, you know, I can't, but it's interesting. Yeah. I know. I think you're right because I mean, basically it's, it's clearly more harmful to kids and not just small kids. Kids up to the age of 18 are affected by this more than grownups, partly because of how they react to rewards, partly because of the needs to uh, to be socially acceptable, which is stronger for kids. So I think delaying it is better, but it's true that I, I, that's why I think that unless something will be done in a systemic way, unless these technologies will be designed to not be so alluring. For example, right now, you know, we have an option on our iPhone to restrict the time we spend online, but we can always override it. But imagine if the default was the opposite. If the default was that, you know, I have two hours on my phone. If I want, I can add time, but that changes people's whole attitude because they view it as a recommendation. They have to add time, but technology companies are never I want to voluntarily create default settings that restrict time. Right. And I think what they do, and, and they also, the way they do this is to shift the responsibility to us. And that's really, you know, an old story, that self-choice and self-responsibility, the idea that we are, it's, we are the ones choosing to use our technologies so much. I mean, this came, the, if you think about the uh, cigarette smoking, the cigarette companies were out there to addict their consumers, but when the first smokers sued, what did the cigarette companies say in court? They said, well, you chose to smoke, so you're responsible for this. This is exactly what the tech companies are starting to do now, and by also by giving us these tools, like giving parents, you know, these these apps to restrict the kids' time, or they're giving you the ability, you know, to restrict your time on your phone. They're really saying, it's you. You're choosing to spend your time. We're giving you all the tools. Now, these tools are not really made, set for you to be successful. It's, um, but I think there's also good news here. And I said, I want to be, to, to look on the bright side here. If we look at what happens with a fight against, um, cigarettes, a fight against, uh, obesity, uh, junk food, really this whole argument that, uh, you make the choice, you're responsible sort of failed with kids. So if you look at it, you know, kids cannot buy cigarettes today. I mean, adults can still buy cigarettes. Uh, Kids in schools, they, the schools are mandated legally to weigh them and to send the, send the BMI to their parents. You cannot imagine this, you know, being imposed on adults. So I think and that's why we're seeing so much legal action involving kids because I, that's the first place where things are going to change. There have been there are multiple class actions now against uh, social networks for causing kids to spend to be, for being so addictive and affecting uh, consequently affecting children's uh, kids mental health there was just uh, recently a lawsuit by the Seattle uh, school district for that um there are there've been for the last couple of years multiple lawsuits against uh, game manufacturers and a very important one in Quebec about how addictive Fortnite is so uh, there have been many bills 
to protect kids. So the thing is, it's important to understand that failure is not necessarily failure. The litigation against tobacco took decades, and eventually in the 1990s, smokers started winning. And because evidence came that out that companies were trying to addict smokers, the evidence for tech addiction is already out. We know what's happening. So I think uh, the, the kids are that kill us here. I think we're going to see, we're already seeing a movement, but there's so much traction, so many things going on in different places that we, it's important to see the big picture. It's not just one bill to combat social media addiction that fails. It's many, many things uh, being done by many people locally, on the state level, and federally. And and that that is thank you for that because that is you know uh, optimistic. But I feel that there is there's a generation that is going to pay for it uh, in, in a way, right? Because there there is a generation of of you know young adults who have had technology since uh, you know since they their brains were forming and so forth. And until we get to a place where it is now cool not to have a phone or it's cool not to be playing these games. Uh, you know, until then where we, I feel that, you know, we are going to have to try to battle, like you said, you know, with the schools, with, um, you know, our local, but also just in our homes and make really, you know, important decisions about what we do with our phones as as adults, what we model, and and you know what we give our children. Yeah, I think people should do their best at their homes, but I think the main the main thing I'm trying to say: don't keep blaming yourself. Of course, for not, for not right. succeeding. That's really important, and and also think what you can do. You know, in schools, people are business owners. You can. If you, if you have a restaurant, I've seen businesses trying to incentivize their customers not to use their phones and they'll give them some perk. You think about design and in New York City airports, every airport has on the table, on the, like, if the table for four, that four iPads. You cannot talk to somebody even if you wanted to. So the, the way you design things, if you, you know, the, QR codes for menus that started during COVID. Many restaurants still keep them. If you have, you come to a restaurant and you have to pull out your phone and you, and I sometimes come with, to a restaurant with my kids and they don't walk around with their phones and that, now there's no menu. These are decisions that, ev- that people can make and they're not making them in their homes, but they can make a big influence on the community because we didn't get smokeless bars, you know, immediately, but it happened and nobody believed it happened. Right, right. No, that that's true. And have you, like in your research, have you, like, are there countries that are modeling this? Like, are there places? Because, and, and this might have been, you know, again, some misinformation on social media, but I remember seeing something about um, how TikTok was being used uh, elsewhere and that there is like a restriction on the app itself or you, you know, you can't spend uh, more time and then there's only, you know, educational information or whatever. So I don't know if there's, if that's true, but are there, you know, industries or countries that are kind of setting the way and modeling a different way of using technology? 
Yes, definitely. So first of all, it's interesting. Uh, Many countries in Southeast Asia have experimented with what they call shutdown systems, which I think is what you're referring to. Yes. Okay. So it does exist. Okay. Yeah. So basically, uh, legally, there are uh, forcing uh, game game manufacturers and even social media, TikTok, to limit the time that kids can spend online so china is leading the way and i I think it it is a problematic thing because people do not look up to china being a legal leader for obvious reasons uh but china is basically and they change these laws every year but uh i think right now you can play uh you can go on tiktok for only 40 if you're a kid 40 minutes a day and you can uh, go on, you can play games maybe four hours a week. But Japan also has similar laws. So Japan is, diff- is different. And some other countries have, have, have experimented with this as well. In addition to that, many European countries have restricted something called loot boxes, which I mentioned earlier. It's a very addictive uh, game design in which you get, uh, you know, when you play a game and you want to progress, sometimes you need special powers and you can play for a long time, but, but some, if you want to get it faster, you can get it through these loot boxes, but you don't know what's inside. Uh, so what happened was that they started selling them. And the moment that they mixed money with this idea of, you know, trying to get powers, which you might get or might not get, uh, many countries in Europe restricted the use of these of these um, loot boxes. So, of course... This is not just about money, it's about the addictive designs, but basically loot boxes were like the lowest hanging fruit because it sounded like gambling and kids and gambling don't mix. So I, I think we are seeing a lot of change. And so, and, and it's also important to remember that this is not, you know, hamburgers, it's not McDonald's, it's basically, it's information, it's it's digital. So what happens in one country affects other countries much greater way. Right. Well, this this has been fascinating. And I, I'm just aware of the time because I, I there, there's plenty more questions. And I'm sure you have plenty more information to share. But I guess how could we um, maybe, well, for, first of all, let me let me go back to just the, the art of parenting, if I if I may, uh, I usually like to wrap up with my with my guests to ask a, a more personal question, if I may. Yeah, sure. And this is, this is really about, you know, you, your personal, uh, parenting. Now you said that you had, uh, three, three children, correct? Yes. And the, the eldest is how old? Uh, the oldest is, uh, 20. 20. So if you were to go back, uh, 21 years ago when you were expecting your first child, what, uh, wise words would you tell yourself knowing all that you know today? Um, about technology in general, and just about parenting. That's 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 your choice. You you you. It can be technology. It can be just parenting in general, uh, or both. Well, you know, maybe the, actually the the two are related when I think about it, because I think I was, and especially because I also had three children, I was so focused on just getting everything I want and needed to get done to make sure I was taking care of of all of them and. And I think I, I didn't realize that I can just pay more attention to 
when we were having fun, when things were joyful. And it took me years and maybe a COVID pandemic where I started to stop at the moment and realize we are having a good time. I don't have to keep planning and thinking what we need to do. And I think if connecting this, this technology, this constant rush and looking and arranging things and sending emails and sending texts is part of it. Just putting it aside and focusing of, of what we do together is, is, is something I wish I paid more attention to from the beginning, but I can do it much better now. Right. And it's, ne- and it's never too late. So beautiful. Thank you. And so, so as we wrap up, what are some maybe parting words that you would like to leave our listeners with today? I, I think, as I said, please, you should not blame yourself for things not working out when you try to police your children. Basically, the technology companies have stacked this against us, but there are lots of things that people can do in their community, in their schools. And I think also to realize that there's already a movement taking place that I think will change things. It just doesn't happen all at once. And in a way, we're sort of in the middle. We're in in the middle of things starting to change because people are already aware. So it's important to do what you can at home to remember what how you would like things to do but do not get desperate because I think change is in the way and even if you're not a lawyer there are lots of things you can do as an activist to change things in the public sphere. Right, right. Beautiful. Beautifully said. And and I'd like to just, you know, empower also families to to think about the values that they want within their own homes, right? That that's the first community is your own home. And, and, you know, you, you get to set the, the rules if you want to, you know, have a weekend without any phones or, or whatever it might be. I know personally, I do every once in a while, I do like a seven, eight days digital detox. I just turn my phone off and, or, or not off, but I, I delete all of the social media apps off of my phone and that's it. I just use it for what it is, a phone. And it's, a, it's actually, <laughs> there is a sensation that is really gratifying when you actually delete the apps. You're like, oh, oh okay. Now. <laughs> so I, I encourage you to do that as well. <laughs> I'm not sure I could. <laughs> but you see, that's the thing. Like I, I posted that, uh, I think it was right before Christmas. And somebody said like, oh, I don't know if I'm you know, capable of doing that. It's like, yes, you are. Like you get to choose. And 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 I just, you know, I, I just I guess I really want people to know that yes, it's hard because like you say, you know, technology has kind of stacked the odds up against us, but we are still free will people. And and, you know, if you choose to delete all the apps and and I have to commend my daughter. I have an older daughter, 26. She actually does that, but for, you know, six months in, in a row. Like she'll just delete everything and she's not on any social media whatsoever. And she's doing great. It's very impressive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, and, and it's, it's interesting because you were saying, you know, optimist. I think there is a, a generation too that has grown up with it and that that knows like for her she knows that it affects her mental health so to to better care for herself she just takes it all off and then she's not tempted yeah so we, 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 we can make choices. Well, Gaia, this has been wonderful. Uh, thank you. When, when is this uh, book coming out? 
It's coming out at the end of March, March 28th. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Perfect. Well, thank you. And I will put the, the links uh, in the show notes for that. Thank you for writing it. Thank you for all your research and your, and your work and, and sharing all of this with us today. Thank you so much for having me. Have you been searching for the owner's manual to your child or did you just misplace it? Are you tired of trying to figure out this whole parenting puzzle, not knowing what to do when it comes to tantrums, hitting or biting, sibling rivalry, potty training, proper sleep habits, or just plain wanting a better relationship with your child? You know, I've been at this for a while now and wanted to share my own parenting manual. It's called The Parenting School, and I've created it with you in mind. Give your child and yourself the gift of mindful parenting in just a few short weeks and discover all the tools you'll ever need to parent without losing your patience, giving in, or worrying that you're messing up. If you're yearning to be more patient and present with your child while finding balance in your own life, then you already know that you need effective parenting tools and ongoing support. You know you weren't meant to be raising children alone, and you probably already know that having the right parenting tools during moments of conflict is the key to staying grounded, responding with empathy, and strengthening your parent-child relationship. You've probably sensed that you'd be a more confident parent if you had a like-minded community supporting and encouraging you. Your skills have gotten you this far, but most days you still feel like you're making it up as you go. So here's what I've got for you. Reliable parenting principles that will allow you to finally set boundaries you can confidently uphold, communicate effectively with your child, declutter your home to enhance your child's independence, learning, and family harmony, and find more time to do the things you love. This is what the parenting school is all about. During this digital parenting course, you'll get weekly modules with lessons focused on key areas to get you where you want to be. These modules come packed full of video tutorials, journal prompts, actionable activities, expert interviews, and more, as well as weekly Lifeline group mentoring calls where I answer your questions personally plus a virtual village with like-minded parents supporting each other during this deep-dive parenting intensive. I'll also include some extra special bonuses to keep you inspired and motivated along the way. So if this sounds too good to be true and you're ready to up-level your parenting skills as well as your family's well-being, head on over to The Parenting School at voilamontessori.com slash tps dash enroll. That's TPS for The Parenting School dash enroll. To learn more about the, all the benefits of this fabulous interactive digital course I've created just for you. And by the way, I've also added the link in the show notes for you. Looking forward to supporting you and your family.
I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Art of Parenting podcast. And if you did, please share it with your loved ones and make sure to leave a review so it can get heard by many more. And remember, if you've got a question, let me know. I'm here for you. Till next time.